and welcome back to Law and Candor's special series on Juneteenth. I am Reem Safuri here with my amazing co-host Duval. Hey Duval. Hey Reem. It's always good to be talking with you. I'm excited to be back in the saddle. So in our first episode, we had a great and impactful conversation with our colleague, Ranique Richberg, about the legacy and the history of Juneteenth and what it means to us today. In this next episode, we are pleased to uh, have Oral Pottinger, partner at Mayor Brown, and Stacey Ibarra, Chief Marketing Officer at Lighthouse, who are going to join us in a discussion on the continued work of advancing equity. Before we dive in, though, we have some more sightings of radical brilliance to share with you. Today, I'd like to share a story of a radical move that a uh, billionaire by the name of Robert Smith undertook in 2019 when he was invited to speak at the graduation at Morehouse University. Robert shared with the students during graduation that he was committing to paying off all the graduate student debt in that year. And then he encouraged them, maybe even challenged them, to use this as an opportunity to pay it forward and ask those students to, when the time comes, find a way for them to help others and elevate others in the community. And what's radical about this is that many of these students have taken this to heart. And there were a few who were interviewed, a couple who were interviewed who have committed to donating $100,000 to the Morehouse $100,000 Club and join the Morehouse $100,000 Club by their their 32nd birthday, so in 10 years. Others have started scholarships to help fund students from their communities who are applying to Morehouse. And so this really is a story about how one individual can create almost a movement with one seemingly simple and very generous gesture. First of all, like, where was Robert in 2003? <laughs> um, I mean, that's my, my first question. Well, but the, the, the challenge is that you would have had to be graduating from Morehouse anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a Howard man, so yes, no chance yes, there. Yes. Yeah, you know, that is powerful for me because, you know, coming into uh, my undergraduate degree, um, finances were a, a problem and were a barrier for for me and my family. And so, um, you know, adre- first of all, having affluent people recognize that challenge um, and step in and share their resources with young folks um, to give them a clean start um, in their professional careers is just ama- amazing. Um, and then I think, you know, if I'm being honest, when I was getting out of undergrad, I was not thinking about paying it forward. Um, that was a realization that I didn't have until my mid thirties, the importance of the people that supported me through my journey and what it means in my position now to give back. And so I love that this was your, uh, radical brilliance or citing a radical brilliance to share, um, because it starts that behavior. And starts the importance of looking back and pulling folks forward. So 
really resonates with me. That's great. And um, maybe in the next life, you will uh, go to Morehouse <laughs> and, and reap the benefits of a generous gesture. Uh, or you could start that tradition at Howard as well. And, you know, so oftentimes we talk about the emotional, the theoretical burden and that that overlooked communities have to overcome. And this financial burden was, you know, it's almost like the shackles were removed, the theoretical shackles were removed for these students. And it's great to see that they're taking it to heart and following and modeling after someone, even though they may not be billionaires yet. Hopefully they will be one day. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Yeah, not to digress too, but I think, you know, there's so many things that you're thinking about um, when you first come out of undergrad. Um, You're literally trying to find a place to live. You're thinking about what your career is and then um, not having to navigate um, th- that financial maze is, is, is super important um, because that's something that, you know, for a lot of families that that's not a conversation that happens, you know, like how to navigate and handle finances. So I just I, I love the fact that um, Robert is removing that um, hurdle for right. everyone. Yeah. So thanks for well, sharing and, that. Reem. Yes. And, and giving them an opportunity to your point about worrying about housing, giving them an opportunity to save up and buy a home and start to build that generational wealth that many black communities don't have the opportunity to do. So it is, it's a really important uh, thing that he did. Reem, thanks for sharing. That's really great. I think it's a great segue for our next conversation with Oral and Stacy. Oral and Stacy, welcome to Law and Candor. We're really excited to have you for our special on Juneteenth. To kick us off, it'd be great if each of you gave a little bit on your background and what Juneteenth means to you. Oral, we'll start with you. Sure. So my parents immigrated to the U.S. when I was two years old. Um, They were both Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica. And we moved up north. We moved to Rochester, New York, which is pretty cold. My dad worked for Kodak for 34 years. And then it got progressively cold. You know, we went to Minnesota and then we went to North Dakota. And and so honestly, um, even though we had talked about emancipation, certainly in school, Juneteenth wasn't something from my experience growing up that we celebrated. Um, it really wasn't until I went to Howard um, in the nation's capital. Uh, and I know Duvall is a Howard alum, so <laughs> HU, right. you know, um, <laughs> that I really became aware of what Juneteenth really meant in terms of a celebration, a celebration of being free, uh, you know, even though it was delayed awareness, you know, because, you know, Galveston, they went, you know, a couple of years after Emancipation Proclamation um, to really be able to free the slaves in um, Galveston, Texas, that there was an awareness, there was a celebration and how, you know, going forward, there's a celebration. It wasn't until I was in an environment where this was celebrated, like at Howard, like at HBCU, that I became really aware of it. And so even, you know, fast forward to George Floyd's, you know, killing, there wasn't really until there was a national awakening 
there was a celebration of Juneteenth and what the history is behind it. And so my kind of celebration has evolved, certainly over the years. My awareness level has evolved over the years, and I think it's a great opportunity for us as a nation, um, for companies, for organizations to recognize the sacrifices of African-Americans in this country, to celebrate the fact that there has been some progress, but there's a lot more progress to go. Yeah, thank you for that. This seems to be a common theme where many of us were not really aware of Juneteenth until you know recent years and highlights the importance of speaking about it, celebrating it, and really understanding the history behind it. Stacy, how about you? What is a little bit about your background and what Juneteenth means to you? I can definitely resonate with what you said, Oral, in that um, my, so I, my husband is a high school history teacher. And so history is always a, a topic in our home, but we hadn't really um, celebrated it. We, I wasn't born in the South and it wasn't something that, that we had celebrated as a family. And we hadn't really started to celebrate until in about 2020 um, when there was, you know, as you say, a national reckoning. I think it was really, America had to reconcile the past and the present. And it, it gave us an opportunity to talk to our teenage children about it. And I think also because of COVID, we were all home. So there was a lot of discussion, more discussion than we'd had in the past. And so um, for me, um, I think it, it's a day to reflect on our history and celebrate Black culture um, and a day to remember and to learn. Um, for me, when I think about any celebration or holiday, the first thing I think about is food, <laughs> for better or for worse. And so what I did when I was trying to um, think about how to celebrate with our family is I, I actually did a little research on the food and wanted to familiarize myself with what are the tr traditionally served foods on Juneteenth. And so um, the traditional food, I mean, you'll see it everywhere, barbecue, that's something that's important. But um, what I learned about was um, the history of red in the food. So think red beans and rice, sauce covered meats, um, red velvet cake, red beverages. Uh, the color red is said to represent the bloodshed throughout enslavement. And some of it traces back to parts of West Africa where red drinks mark special occasions and red was symbolic for spiritual power. So for me, um, we celebrated with food and I, I made a nice meal. My husband and I made a nice meal for our, our uh, kids and, and we reflected on the history. Stacy, the foods really highlight the, uh, the Juneteenth is a moment to celebrate and and uh, really think about the perseverance of African Americans in this country, and at the same time reconcile with a dark history and a dark past, and uh, you know think about how we move forward from that. So thank you for sharing that. You know, <clears throat> I just have to reply to Oral's shout out. So welcome, fellow Howard grad. It's always good to have you here. I feel like I'm in the presence of brilliance. So very, very excited. Um, just to recap, in our first episode, we discussed the history of Juneteenth and what it means today. Part of that conversation is about equity in the workplace, the progress that we've made and the work that remains to be done. Oral, what strategies do you think have been successful or most impactful in achieving equity, either at an industry level or at an organizational level? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, I think one of the 
primary areas is transparency. Uh, you know, not doing things behind closed doors or um, really bringing things to light, um, whether it's objective criteria in terms of determining compensation, determining bonuses, so that everyone's aware these are the criteria for uh, achieving this level of compensation or this level of a bonus um, and not having things be subjective, but really having objective criteria. I think that is one way you can certainly uh, achieve equity and compensation. Um, and, and then I think encouraging um, discussion about it, not it be a taboo topic topic, and talking about how you can lean in for what your your worth is to the organization and diverse individuals, you know, not going beyond African-Americans bring a lot to the table to organizations, diversity of thought, uh, diversity of background, um, just thinking about things differently and being a well-rounded organization. And that that has some value to it, to the organization. And so making sure that folks are compensated uh, appropriately um, for what they bring. And so transparency is a big part of it. Um, our firm, Mayor Brown, we were part of the uh, lawsuit, we represent the women's national soccer team in terms of the equity pay. And, you know, taking on causes like that where there is a disparity, whether it's gender disparity when it comes to compensation or, um, you know, executive compensation or compensation throughout the organization, those are things that we have to be able to take on, talk about, not allow them just to be done in a corner, but really um, bring them to light. Thanks for sharing that. And I appreciate how you you reference the data that you can use and the mechanisms that, that are in place to ensure equity w- within your organization. And um, it'd be nice to see other organizations take that path. So thanks for sharing that. And Stacy, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Oral just said. I think it's also important that um, you have diversity in leadership positions because I do think that that helps with equity. Because you know we've come up through when you've come up through the ranks. I think, um, and I think organizations should hold ourselves accountable to regular benchmarking and progress and where are we at in terms of leadership. I think it's it's important across the board, but I think it's equally important for leadership positions. I know at Lighthouse we do. Um, you know, we do regular benchmarking and, and really proud that we've got about 35% of our managers are ethnic minor or ethnic minorities. And that's been an increase of about 5% since 2020. Um, and we've got a third of our C-suite that are ethnic minorities. So, and it's been something we've, we've been working on over the years. And I think um, that's where I think having leaders, you know, minorities in leadership positions really important. Stacey, I I love that you called out um, ensuring equity at different levels. You know, I think it's easy to just look at that, these numbers holistically, but really making sure there's diversity at the leadership levels. Very important. Um, And tying back to what Oral said, um, diversity of thought for those leaders to make those decisions that are best for the business. So thanks for sharing. All right. um, Oral, uh, you you have championed DEI and blaze trails in the law firm community and um, 
law firms are structured a little bit differently, as we know, than corporations. Can you talk a little bit about how the structure has influenced or affected the DEI work that you have undertaken in law firms and hone in on particular policies or strategies that you think can have broader application beyond your organization? Yeah, I mean, certainly it helps when you're at a law firm, when you have the leadership that has is fully bought in to promoting um, DEI. And um, I've been fortunate at certainly the firm that I'm currently at where um, not only the current chairman, but the previous, the uh, past chairman were very laser focused on DEI, uh, so much so that um, DEI is part of our strategic plan in terms of one of our five pillars of the firm. And so focusing on that in terms, obviously, um, you know, um, recruitment in terms of the pipeline and promotion and retention, the, those are all things that we take into account. Um, but I honestly, one of the biggest areas, I think, for any law firm uh, and for any law firm to survive is how well are you connected with your clients? And the influence of clients on law firms are huge. And so clients can influence um, internal policies at law firms, particularly when it comes to DEI, because if they're holding firms accountable to Okay, who or how are you staffing my teams? Are they getting substantive work? Are they being developed? Are they being are diverse um, attorneys being promoted? Um, and you know, and if the if the clients hold the law for their law firm outside counsel accountable to that. That's where you're going to see real change. So if you're not going to get a matter because you're you're not you don't have a diverse team, that's going to um, instill change. Um, in the organization. And so that's one thing that I think has been one of the biggest drivers is a lot of the external influences um, for law firms. Right. We're seeing similar trends in on the service provider side where clients are demanding that we bring diverse teams on the delivery side. It's not enough to show diversity in leadership or in a sales meeting, but more importantly, uh, bring diversity in the teams that service our clients. So those trends seem to be extending beyond law firms, which is important. Thanks, Reem. The push for greater equity has benefits for the African-American community, as well as groups that have often been marginalized. Stacy, do you think different groups can lean in and support each other to achieve greater equity or implement better intersectional policies? Yes, I absolutely do. And um, I can share a little bit of what's worked for us at Lighthouse. I know, Duval, when you started talking to me, oh, I guess it was four years ago now, about wanting to create an ERG at Lighthouse around, um, you know, focused on African-Americans, I kind of pushed back a little bit and I said, well, we could do that. But what if we did something that was for all minorities? And and we, found, you know, we talked about it and I think we ended up going with creating an ERG that was focused around all minorities that we called BEAM, Bridging E-Discovery and Minorities, which I think helped us because it was, we definitely had a perspective, our, our you know African-American perspective, but we were able to bring in some of our other colleagues of color that could give a whole different um, 
you know, perspective, but also helped us really support each other in different ways. So I thought that was, that was really great. And then as we, you know, as we launched that, I'm also, um, head up one of our other ERGs, Women Lead at Lighthouse. And so we were able to start to do cross organizational work with our ERGs. And then as they continue to grow at Lighthouse, we have now five ERGs. We're really purposeful about having cross ERG talks, really um, getting together as, as the leads from those t- together to talk about how can, what ways can we support each other and, and be allies. So I think if you're in an ERG or you're thinking of starting one at a company, I think really thinking about it from that way and, and uh, intersectionality, I think is important. But at the end of the day, I do think that at the individual level, it's important for us to always um, think about it in that way. I know I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, I'm over 40, I check a lot of boxes. And so I think it's up to all of us to, to think about issues, not just that fit yourselves, but think about other causes like LGBTQ issues and um, other, other rights. And, and I think we can, if we do that, it can just help us um, all be allies with each other. And, and we're not just speaking for one cause, but for all of them. Yeah, and if I can just add to that as well, I know you call them ERGs um, at our firm, we call them affinity groups. And how when you, I think there's real power when all the different affinity groups get together and there's like joint functions and the ability to support one another. It might be a particular heritage month for, you know, this this month is Pride Month. And, you know, earlier in the year, um, it was, you know, African-American History Month, it was, um, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander um, Heritage Month. So you can get together and support each other in terms of different initiatives. Um, and then it also helps incl- bring in also the allies because there it's not necessarily one particular group that you're focusing on. But when you're able to bring all the different groups together um, and that's I think there's really a great power in the collective um, and to initiate change. I mean, you see a lot of the civil rights movement. It wasn't just African-Americans that were marching. There were, you know, lots of people, um, that were marching in order to affect change. Um, and, uh, I think it's important to have those allies be there and be part of, um, the change and the different initiatives that are going forward. Yeah. You know, diversity is layered, and so each of us can should think about, you're absolutely right, where we could be allies to others because there's strength in numbers. And I'd like to bring together something you said, Oral, and your reference to ERGs. Oral, you mentioned that one of the successes for you has been that the DEI is a company or a law firm strategy and that it is supported from the top. So that is something that we here, our ERGs are all have executive sponsorship. It's employees create them because they have to be resonate with our employees. But executives are absolutely invested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that allows a safe space for those of us here, even here on this call, to speak up for each other and to push forward DEI. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to get buy in. Um, from the top and from yeah. leadership. Right. And I um, mean, we all, and as much as we try to diversify the leadership, 
um, you know, we, 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 we need to, you know, get that buy-in to yeah. really move things along. Right. And speaking of moving towards equity, uh, we've made some great strides in the past years. As we've talked about, there is more awareness of, uh, you know, the African-American community's past and the, the need to focus on how we can empower and elevate um, our diverse communities. But there is still, as we know, a lot of work to be done to achieve true equity. So it's tempting to focus our efforts everywhere and potentially dilute our efficacy. And in that vein, um, can you speak to some areas that you feel need the, the most improvement and, fo- and, and maybe talk about where we might want to focus so that we can get closer to greater equity in the corporate space? Yeah, I, I think that you know, we look at pipeline in terms of the people that are coming into an organization. Most organizations are doing a fairly good job of having diverse pipelines. Um, the issue becomes in terms of retention and then development of those employees. Um, and then even going beyond that, who gets those positions of leadership? And so I think there's whether it's a law firm or, uh, you know, organizations within um, you know, support services that, you know, uh, diversity um, at the top, representation at the top is still something that we lack, um, certainly as a, a legal um, field. And so I think that's an area of still improvement, still fighting the fight in order to get that representation um, for organizations to not only have the people that they developed along the way, where it just becomes a natural choice, but um, having, you know, making those decisions to say, hey, we're going to put this person in this position of leadership and um, have the people available that can, that can lead, that are in the room making the decisions that affect the entire organization. So I think that's probably one of the biggest areas is that executive representation is, is still needs a lot of work. I completely, I, I completely agree with that, um, Oral. And I think just to add on to that, I think that if, you know, it also takes mentorship and sponsorship in order to get to those, um, in order to elevate, to be at that executive level. And so if there's, I think that it's important that if you are at that level to be able to help mentor and sponsor others that can, can help them elevate, um, and our allies to do the same, to, um, mentor and sponsor so that there is a path to, to get to that executive representation. Because I think I I agree with you. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. So speaking of our allies and and community um, that are listening, uh, I think this conversation has been, been great. So Oral and Stacey, thanks for sharing your experience and and giving us a, a map on how to bring our organizations forward. Um, You know, what would you suggest, um, or how would you ask them to get involved with equity and inclusion at their organizations or within the industry? And, and Oral, I'll kick that to you first. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times organizations, they have initiatives, they have events that people are aware of. I think the biggest thing is honestly showing up um, because there are things that are you can participate in. 
it's a question of, okay, participation. And a lot of times when you have events internally in an organizational, a lot of times it's the same people that show up for the okay. events yep. over and over and over again. And um, I think in order to really have the type of organizational change that you're looking for is, you know, you can plan all the events you want, but you have to have the engagement and people showing up, participating, getting involved. And so I don't have the magic recipe for that. That's something I'm always trying to figure out. How can we instill greater engagement, whether it's, you know, our young associates that are coming in? How can we make sure that they're engaged, that they feel a part of, you know, a larger group and organization, that their input and feedback matter? Or it's our, you know, um, equity partners that have been at the firm for 20 or 30 years, how we can make sure that they show up and, and that they're involved. And some do great job of getting involved, but honestly, a lot of times it's the same people over and over and over again. So having that broader engagement and people showing up, um, I think that's the, um, the biggest thing. And if someone is saying, hey, I don't know where I can start, just start by showing up. Like you get that invite, and when you say, yeah, I'm going to come, you know, follow through and come and show up for the event. And Stacey, I'll, I'll kick the same question to you. Yeah, I, as usual, I agree with everything Oral said. He's <laughs> right on point there. Um, and I think because we have the same experience, you know, Raymond and Duval right. are exactly. ours, that it's the same people coming over and over again. And that's where I think involving some of the other resource groups to help join and, and recruiting them in and, and going and us also going to some of the other resource groups. I think that that helps. I think um, just being aware of unconscious bias, I think we all have it. And sometimes, you know, there's Remy when I talked about getting, being comfortable, being uncomfortable because sometimes right. I think you're going to have to do that. And you're going to, I mean, we all have them. I, I have, I have, and um, you have to really listen and, and, and be uncomfortable and, and listen and then, um, you know, make changes. I think if you lead teams, really practicing equitable hiring is important um, and being a, an ally. Those would be the ones that I would, I would give as, as far as advice. Yeah. And remind people that inclusion cannot be at the exclusion of others. And so for excluding ourselves from the process, we're not going to be completely uh, collaborative and we're not going to succeed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Sorry to dovetail this here, but I, you know, that was a process I had to go through as an individual and, and Stacy was a close part of that. Um, and starting our ERG, but I think looking at the work that you need to do as an individual to be um, as inclusive as possible is, is very important. So, um, you know, I started kind of looking around and realized that women um, really played an integral part in my development and career. And that made me want to learn more and become a better ally there. So I just wanted to add that point that I think that's 100% accurate. So before we close out, Oral, and and then Stacy, do you have any final thoughts or parting words? I mean, the only thing that I would add is, you know, take the moment on you know Juneteenth to to reflect, to think about the things that you've done in terms of progressing. 
um, uh, equity, um, diversity, or whatever it is that you're honing in on, you know, take a moment to reflect. You know, I think it's a lot of times we can say, okay, it's another holiday or it's, you know, another day where we don't necessarily have to go to work. But, you know, let's, there's a reason why we're, we're, we're celebrating Juneteenth and to focus in on that. And whether it's a celebration, whether it's a backyard barbecue, you're getting together with your family, you know, take a moment to reflect and um, think about what we're celebrating and, um, you know, think about the struggle and where we've come from in this country and how much farther we still have to go. Yeah. Stacy, what about you? Yeah, I think that I agree with with all that. I think it's also an opportunity to educate as well. Um, and because I think there are, you know, a lot of us, we've, we've, we've been celebrating for a while or we know a lot about it, but I think there's still a lot of education that, that needs to happen out there. So if, as you're celebrating, um, you know, think about how you can educate your community about it, more about the history. Um, and I think that'll go a long way to helping people understand why this is a really important, it's important that we celebrate this day. Well, Oral and Stacy, thank you for joining us and sharing your insights into how we collectively forge ahead towards greater equity and a place for, of belonging for everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Law and Candor for our special Juneteenth episodes. We would like to recognize Seattle artist Vitamin D for our theme music. For more about him, please check out the show notes on our episode pages. And for more on Juneteenth stories and resources, I encourage you to visit our website, lighthouseglobal.com, or check us out on LinkedIn.